Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. Jerry, you never cease to amaze me. He must, he must have a direct line to God on what the message is going to be. We never call each other and tell each other what to, what to sing. I mean, it just happens that way. It's an amazing miracle. My mom set up that one. She did the list. Oh, well, she's awesome, too. She's awesome, too. Oh, my gosh. Have you bought gas lately? Yeah. How about that? It went from five ninety nine to six nineteen, back to five ninety nine, five ninety nine, up to six twenty nine, six forty nine. FYI, I'm gonna have to get my saddle on my horse, and I'll meet you here as soon as you get a post of, like I'm posting on. Okay. <laughs> post means something different today, doesn't it? A post used to be what you could tie your horse to. Now it's viral. <laughs> Well, speaking of viral, I have a grandson who is fixated on playing video games. Sometimes he's so focused on that thing that people can come and go in the, in the room, uh, they can talk, have a conversation, dance, twirl, whatever, talk to him. He doesn't even notice. He doesn't even pay attention. It's that focused. So I know that when I worked, I, I used to be more focused. I could, I could pay attention to the task at hand. But now that I'm retired and much older, my brain is up for grabs. So if you want it, take it. Okay? <laughs> the world is shaped, it, the world around us is shaped by those things that we pay attention to and are focused on. Remember that the world around us is shaped by those things we pay attention to or are focused on. You know, I watch a little bit of TV on my iPad, it's the Peacock. Okay, and so uh, I like the documentaries. And there was one that said, how to focus. And I thought, whoa, I need that, you know? And uh, squirrel. Uh, anyway. Um, it was an experiment, and there was a, a man jumping on a trampoline in the, in the background. In the foreground was these young people jumping over, what's that hobby horse or that thing you, whatever. Pummel Yes. And so, uh, and they were jumping one after the other. After There was this constant movement going on. And she asked a question. She says, now I want you to uh, count how many times that man is uh, jumping on the trampoline. And so I was just looking at that trampoline and I'm going, one, two, three, up to 11 times. And she go, okay, now, if you uh, counted 11, you really can focus very well. And, and, uh, and I thought, wow, I did it. I got an A plus, right? I, I really set my mind to doing what I was supposed to do. The question after that was, did you see the pink gorilla step into the left side of the screen and back out of the screen? I didn't see a pink gorilla at all, at all. I mean, I was so focused on this side of the screen that I didn't see what was going on on this side of the screen. 
that's okay. That's okay to be that focused that you miss some things, but realize sometimes when we're focused that we do miss a few of the things. Are they important? Maybe, maybe not. So fix, the word tells us, focus and pay attention to set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above in heaven, not on things that are on this earth. That's Colossians 3, 2. And you know, uh, you've been told, I've been told that when something is repeated, you want to pay closer attention to that thing. That's important. Set your minds on things above if you're a Christian. In every situation, there is an agenda. It's the why we do what we do. And an agenda is the driving force to accomplish something. That's that thing that we focus on. We, we're geared, we're programmed. It's the to-do list. It's why we do what we do. Kind of like Larry the Cable Guy. Get her done. Focus on it. Get her done. So, um, in my fo if I focus all my attention on earthly pleasures, then my agenda might be to own the biggest home in the neighborhood, drive the most expensive car, make the most money. And I become programmed to do whatever it takes to accomplish those things, even at the sacrifice of those things that are really important, like family, friends. Nothing wrong with having those things. If you're a Christian, the problem becomes when it takes precedence over heavenly things. When my mind is set on things above, then my agenda will automatically align with Christ's agenda. And what's his agenda? That I should know him as my savior, to win souls for him, to serve him with my giftings, to be faithful with my tithe, and to be obedient to his word, and to look like him. Become like him, think like him, act like him. So Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to seek and to save the lost. This is his agenda. To seek and save the lost, that no one would perish, but come to have eternal life. So Paul and Silas, as we uh, are finding in the book of Acts, they manifested Jesus's agenda. But first, let's go back. Fran did such an excellent job last week of bringing uh, Acts 15 to us. And so here they are. And there arose a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul and uh, about taking John Mark on this foot journey through the Middle East. And so they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. He went that away. But Paul chose Silas and departed that way. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening all the churches. And so God is able to bring success and complete his agenda even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of what we perceive that might be wrong, 
He can do that because he is God. And you know, his agenda is also take the, take the message to the masses. Take God to the masses. That is his agenda. And that's what Paul and Silas are doing. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But first, they had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything on my own. I can't even be a good person on my own. I have to have the Holy Spirit empowering me to do anything that honors God. So the Holy Spirit, while they were on their journey, led and guided and directed them forward to spread the good news around the world. The Spirit prompted them where they should go, and he prohibited them where they shouldn't go on their journey for Jesus. And he was with them the whole way. So after that conflict of Barnabas and Saul, the two separated, creating a broader region for the gospel to be shared. What can be interpreted as a bad thing? God turned into an avenue for taking the gospel to the world. Paul and Silas started uh, returning to those places that they visited the first time on Paul's first journey. And so they came to the city of Lystra. And a man got their attention. His name was Timothy. He was a disciple that uh, had come to believe in Jesus the first time around on Paul's first journey. He'd come to the attention of Paul and Silas because the fellow believers in that town, Lystra, spoke so highly of him. He had a wonderful reputation. He was faithful. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him on his mission. But the first thing on the agenda was that Timothy was going to be circumcised. Now, it's not a compulsory thing for Galatians 5.6. states, for in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. But by doing this, remember the agenda, expanding God's kingdom. But by doing this, Timothy would be allowed into the synagogues. He would be allowed to be in the Jewish homes. He would, it broadened his ministry, and he would be accepted by the Jewish people. So God, after that, gave Paul a vision of a man calling from Macedonia. It moved Paul and Silas and Timothy on towards Philippi. Philippi is, is in the region of Macedonia. At this time in Philippi, uh, it was a Roman military outpost. There wasn't a lot of people there, but who was there was, um, there was no synagogue, right? There were just a few Jews. And you needed 10 Jewish people, it could be a man and a woman, uh, to create a synagogue in your area. The population was about 2,000 people, and they were made up of Romans and Macedonians and a few Jews. And FYI, I found this so interesting. A Jew, a, a Jew could not eat food prepared by a Gentile, nor was a Gentile allowed into a Jewish home. However, if a Jewish woman was called to prayer at the synagogue um, from her home, 
while she was cooking dinner. She could have a Gentile woman stir the pot because she did not fix the food. She was not in the house because usually they cooked food outside so that there wasn't any smoke in the house. And they did most of that cooking outside. So it all worked out for that Jewish woman. And it worked out for the Gentile woman too, right? I'm sure she was compensated. So there, Lydia is introduced as a God-fearer. That's someone who loves God, worships God, but hasn't been converted yet or has not been baptized. She was a wealthy businesswoman who dealt with purple cloth, and it was dyed from mollusks. Purple cloth is the color of royalty and wealth and was mainly worn by the Romans. Remember the color of the robe that the, that the soldiers put around Jesus while they were shoving down on his head the crown of thorns? What color was it? Purple. I think that's very prophetic that they would put a, a purple robe on someone who was already the king and who was wealthy. All the riches were his of the world. So Lydia was walking down to the river to pray. There was no synagogue at that time. And so they searched out places and what more beautiful place than by the river to pray. And Paul joined them there and he taught them there. And I can imagine she was gathering everyone she knew to go down to the river to pray with her. And it might have sounded something like this.
Sounds like a mechanical, you know, like a catalytic converter in your car. I mean, that's kind of what I think when I hear convert. convert. But being a convert in Christ is a very deep and personal and spiritual experience. A convert means to change into another form, a substance, a state, or a product. It's transforming. To change from one use, a function, or purpose to another, adapt to a new and different purpose, to persuade or to induce to adopt to another, a particular religion, a faith or a belief. So becoming a convert is putting your faith and trust for salvation in Christ alone. It is a life altering and amazing transformation. I'm sure that each one of you can remember back when you put your faith into Jesus Christ and asked him as your savior. I remember mine just like it was yesterday and it was, well, 1983, <laughs> August 23rd, 1983 to be exact. So that transformation, oh my gosh, from life, from death to life, darkness to light, from broken to healed, from abandoned to accepted, from this world to heaven bound. That's what conversion does. The believers in Jesus can lay claim to this new direction and purpose of life because it's a free gift. All you have to do is receive it. And all because we get all this, all because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice and resurrection. It's yours for the taking. So the next person to get Paul's attention was a slave girl 
who allowed Paul and who followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and now Luke is, includes himself when he says, we went. And so he's the author of Acts. And she would cry out as she followed them. These servants are the most high God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. I can just hear that. Precious. <laughs> For days she did this, and it annoyed Paul so much. For he knew that she was filled with the demonic spirit of the python. Finally he turned to her and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And it obeyed immediately. I'm going to read to you something about that spirit of python that I thought was really interesting. Okay. Python was the name given to a mystical serpent associated with the oracle of Delphi in Greece. Greek mythology believed that when a priestess inhaled the vapors that arose from an opening in the ground at Delphi, she was actually breathing in the vapors from the rotting body of this serpent, which had been slain by the god Apollo. They had hundreds of gods. But apparently Apollo killed this serpent, Python. They believed these vapors somehow induced a drug trance, which allowed the god Apollo to possess the spirit of the priestess and then speak through her. People went to Delphi and paid money to receive guidance from this oracle. And by telling us the slave girl had the spirit of Python, Luke is explaining that it is in a manner similar to the oracle at Delphi. She would fall into a trance and channel a voice from the serpent, from the spirit realm, a demon. By coming to her, the people of Philippi believed they were receiving guidance from the gods without traveling. 150 miles to Delphi. So their, their agenda was, I don't want to travel that far and I don't want to pay that much. The Bible doesn't say that she was converted. However, much like the demoniac at the Gadarenes, she had been delivered and set free, forever changed profoundly transformed and repurposed for God. One can assume that she was singing a different tune all day long. And you can't keep something like that inside yourself. It's got to come out. You've got to tell people. What do we do when we have a, a, a car accident or something, a first big thing, emotional thing happens to you? You want to tell somebody. I'm sure that's what she did. Hallelujah because there's no greater name than Jesus. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. By his name we are saved, by his name demons are subdued, and by his name all things are sustained. So now that she was truly liberated, her owners lost their income. That was their agenda. They became angry and brought charges against Paul and Silas, and everything happened so fast to Paul and Silas that there was no trial, there was no jury, there was no telling their side of the story, and they did not even get a chance to tell them that they were Roman citizens. They were stripped and beaten with wooden rods or canes. I think that in some countries they still cane people. 
And when they had afflicted many blows, and that means without number, they were thrown into prison. Not just into prison, but into the deep and darkest part of the prison, inner prison, and their feet were put into stocks. The stocks were designed to immobilize the prisoner and keep them from escape. They were made of wood. Oh my goodness. Sitting on a wooden bench, not good, right? That wood against your skin, <laughs> if your feet are in stock, is just going to create another wound. And Romans knew how to do the most incredible, torturous things to people. The woodstocks had a mechanism that could stretch the legs far apart, ensuring more discomfort. And to add insult to injuries, they had been beaten bloody by these rods, and they had to sit on their wounds. At midnight, everyone could hear Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns to God. Now, that might not be my first response here uh, to suffering. I would probably whimper a lot, cry a few tears, complain a lot <laughs> at the injustice, but not them. They felt it joy to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. There was a change in the spiritual atmosphere as a result of their worship. And the same thing happens for us. There is a change in the spiritual atmosphere when we worship. You know, I'm constantly reminded in my own life that when the Israelites went out to battle, they didn't send the biggest and the baddest. They sent out the worshipers to prepare the way for God to do his job. He says, I'll fight that battle for you. Send out the singers and the dancers. Worship me first and foremost. God, God got everybody's attention through an earthquake. Now Elvis would have said that was the jailhouse rock because it literally rocked the foundation of that prison. It must have been a big shaker to knock the prison doors off their hinges and break the chains from that had them bound to the walls. But isn't that what God does do best? I mean, doesn't he do that all the time for his believers? He opens prison doors and he sets the captives free. He breaks your chains when you feel bound and tied up. That's what he does best. So what does it take to get your attention? An earthquake? Well, God will do whatever is needed to get your mind set on him. It certainly got the jailer's attention because he feared all that all the prisoners had escaped that night. And he knew that if they had escaped, he would have been <coughs> executed by the Romans. Now he, was he was so fearful he was going to take his own life. Mm -hmm. But Paul stopped him. He said, don't harm yourself. Yep. We are all here. Yep. Nobody's gone. You haven't lost anyone. And Paul and Silas did not use this time to run free. They used it as an opportunity to witness. And as a result, the trembling jailer came to him, Paul and Silas, and he said, what must I do to be saved? That's a very important question. And the, answers, the answer was, believe. believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. 
The answer was the same then, the answer is the same today, and the answer will always be the same for all of our tomorrows. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So after that, the jailer took Paul and Silas and he ministered, he washed their wounds, he gave them something to eat. And Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him and all that were in his house. And they were baptized. This jailer and all who were in his household, they were baptized and rejoiced because they have, had found God right there in a miserable prison. Now keep in mind, the word says that there is joy in the, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And I can imagine that just by Paul and Silas going, taking the message of God to the masses, that there was a big party in heaven rejoicing and singing and doing hallelujahs because of not one, but many sinners who repented. More converts more transferred, transformed lives for the kingdom had been birthed that night. And God can turn what we perceive as failure and defeat, in this sense, being thrown into prison, and he can turn it into triumph, winning souls for the kingdom. And just think what he can do in your predicament, how he can change that thing that you perceive as failure and defeat and turn it into something that is useful and changed and purposed for God. He can turn your mess into a miracle. So Paul and Silas were released from prison and asked to leave the city quietly. But Paul, who had a lot of moxie in him, still, even after he was saying he was, he had a word. Paul brought to their attention that because he was a Roman citizen, they had violated a Roman law, which was that it was unlawful to punish a Roman citizen without a trial. If the leaders were found guilty, they would lose their high positions, their incomes, and their special privileges of being a military colony. They were afraid and gave Paul exactly what he asked for, which was a personal and public apology and, and a personal escort by the magistrates out of the prison. But they didn't leave the prison. They went straight to Lydia's house for comfort and for fellowship and encouragement. You know, that's, that's a good truth right there for us. It's a wise truth that that when we're having a hard time, that we would seek the comfort and assistance from the fellowship of believers, not from things or people or places that are concerned with this world. They don't have God's agenda. Before their wounds were even healed, they left the city and continued in faith and obedience to share the good news wherever they journeyed. We are in a Bible study, Gospel on the Ground. And that's exactly what Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke did. They put the gospel to the ground and they walked. So at one point in time, they did a 400-mile journey by foot. Was there anything left? 
Do they have toenails left? I don't know. I don't know. But they were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do exactly that that, the, that God required of them and requested of them. Like them, we can minister to others, even though we're still hurting from our, our trials and problems. Even before we're totally healed, we can help others. Because those wounds will speak to someone who has the same issue as you, who has the same hurt as you, who has the same experience as you. And as a believer, you have all the answers. And the answer is Jesus. It will always be Jesus. So God's agenda is not finished. Now you, I can't even believe that in the, today, the digital age, that there are still people that don't know Jesus. I've had a pastor tell me that he went down into the jungles of the Amazon and he said, there were, here were these people that didn't even have a bathroom or, or whatever, but they had a big screen TV out there in the forest, you know, so that satellite up in the sky can take things a longer way than those 400 miles that they had to walk by foot. That would have taken a long time, huh? It might be your next door neighbor that needs the Lord or needs an encouraging word or just a touch of kindness. Might be your favorite bank teller. Might be the lady that draws your blood. Or it might be the next person in line for coffee. The Holy Spirit can direct you, just like he directed Paul and Silas, as to who needs Jesus and who to share with. And he will empower you to say just the perfect thing at the perfect time to get their attention. You will find out they just don't know Jesus yet. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do all things well and perfect and that we have the privilege to partner with you on your agenda. Help us by your Holy Spirit to align ourselves with what you desire and what pleases you. And bless us as we come and as we go. Heal those who are sick to your glory and in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.